0: Hi, it's Marcus Ryder,
1: here on behalf of Lenny and myself, we just wanted to let you know that the podcast you're about to hear, Black British Fashion Matters, was recorded before the recent Paris Fashion Collection by Kanye West with his White Lives Matter t-shirts, a slogan branded as racist by the Anti-Defamation League. We might not talk about the t-shirts directly, but if anything proves how important black fashion is, we saw evidence of it right there. And now, on with the podcast. Enjoy.
2: Hello and welcome to Black British Lives Matter the podcast. I'm Lenny Henry and I'm Marcus Ryder. This is the podcast where we explore why and how Black British lives matter, acknowledging and dealing with the racism we face but wanting to go far deeper than that exploring what it means to be black and british our culture our joy and our pain marcus what are we doing today today lenny we are looking at black british fashion matters
1: we're looking at what fashion clothes and style says about black british culture and identity
2: And to guide us through the issue of Black British Fashion Matters, we have not one, not two, but three amazing guests. First, we have the phenomenon that is Afua Hirsch, award-winning author and journalist, TV presenter, one of Britain's thought leaders, and most importantly for this podcast partner, with Seeker Fashion. Next, we have one of the most remarkable and recognisable names in British fashion, Oswald Boateng, known for his trademark twist on classic tailoring and bespoke styles. Basically, if you do not own an Oswald Boateng suit, who are you? And last, but definitely not least, we have Professor Carol Tulloch, a writer, leading academic and curator with a specialism in dress and black identities. If fantasy podcasting existed, this will be my personal dream team. Welcome, all three of you. I'm going to start by asking you all the same simple question. Why do you think fashion is so important to Black British identity and culture? Afro, I'm going to start with you.
3: Hi, Lenny. I think that all of us share a cultural heritage in which style, hair, fashion, heritage are all completely intermeshed, you know, and we all ultimately have the same African ancestry. And if you look at all of the cultures on the African continent, the way that you style and present yourself is the most powerful expression of your individual identity, your group identity, you know, your region, your faith, your culture, your language. It's just such a foundational part of the human experience. And, you know, it's always interesting for me when I see people come to the African continent for the first time who haven't been before, they're obviously expecting poverty and underdevelopment. And the thing that always hits people is how sharp everyone oh, yeah. looks. Everything is pressed within an inch of its life. <laughs> Hair is always freshly barbered, freshly cornrowed. Everything is put together. And I think that that's literally in our DNA. It's in our mother's milk. And so as we've kind of spread into a diaspora, we've just kept that devotion to really presenting ourselves in a way that expresses our self-pride as people but also just the richness of that heritage
2: my goodness you can breathe now Oswald Oswald, why do you as one of the most stylish men on the planet why do you think fashion is important to black British identity and don't front now don't front it
4: don't front okay I'm I'm gonna front it because you were my you were one of my first models in my my kit so I'm waiting for you to answer that question for me. No, I think Afua nailed it, actually. She yeah. took everything, all the words out of my mouth. I think, you know, when you go to the continent as a start position, you just have to look at the textiles that, mm-hmm. you know, are just used and the way they're worn. And, you know, I remember my first experience going to to Ghana and going to the markets and then seeing all these amazing fabrics that, you know, you know the, the women were wearing as they were trading. Now... Of course, a lot of those textiles are actually made in Amsterdam, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, what are but you but, do? But, but, um, but there is something intrinsic in the expression of style, and and that's very much a part of the culture. Uh-huh. You know, it, it relates to the music. It relates to just even spiritually. All right, I mean, it, there's uh, there's a spiritual dinam- dimension to it because. Somehow this is a way we express who we are and connect to ourselves through our dress. And I think Afua also uh, mentioned that. And so that's just a part of who we are. That's yeah. just the dynamic.
2: Professor, can you tell us why fashion is so important to Black British identity? I mean, I, I never had any money, but I always tried to look good. Even though I knew I didn't look good. <laughs> I always, what, what is that? about us growing up in this country?
5: I think black British fashion matters because it's a way of understanding... It's it's one way of understanding black British lives. Um, The way we dress ourselves is part of who we are um, and our sense Mm -hmm. of selves within um, the UK, within Britain. Um, But also it's about the so-called amateur, if you like, who styles themselves and creates and says something about themselves, as well as the fashion designer, the, the professional who provides the garments and are telling stories Particularly those who want to connect <laughs> with parts of the African diaspora and what it means to be in in Britain and those relationships um, and notably that uh, so many of us who were born in Britain from the 1950s onwards, our parents came from different parts of the African diaspora, so you wanted to connect that um, familial heritage and those cultural cultural heritage, but also for me, and I know a lot of other people. I'm proud of being born in Britain and I want to connect those worlds. And so mixing that. Um, so um, it's sometimes it's been the way that um, someone's dressed and styled themselves and presented them on the streets. That's um, made people take a second look and appreciate what they've worn. And then for others, it's, aggravation and it exacerbates their difference Um, and in that short that short um speck of time can make someone um become aggressive Um, so my own example and i've used it said it before of some of people see me on the street no matter how well i'm dressed but as a black woman and another woman normally white will put her hand over a handbag and then step to the side. It's happened to me so many times. It's like I don't, I can't believe this. So, um, so yeah, um, so, uh, it's it's I keep talking about it. It's about those style narratives. That's something that I've talked about in the Birth of Cool. Uh, the style narratives, the meanings that's that um are projected um from um from what you wear and how what we're trying to say with our with with what we're wearing about
2: belonging, but other people read it differently and see it as not belonging. You wrote a book called The Birth of Cool, Style Narratives of the African Diaspora. And you talked previously about how important your father was in your journey to understand the importance of Black British identity. Can you possibly explain how important fashion was to the Windrush generation?
5: Okay, so uh, following on from what Afua was saying about the precision of dressing yourself the clothes the importance of that to uh, someone's identity but then for that generation coming over um um in the late 40s 50s early 60s then it was about this adventure it was about um the excitement of that um it again coming back to what that um idea of that um aesthetics of presence which i developed as a technique to to counter the aesthetics of invisibility uh, that my parents and their generation on some level... They look really show. good
2: when they arrive in this country. I mean, I'm seeing people nodding at me, but people, when you watch those films of the Windrush arrivals, in fact, people arriving at Waterloo, at Tilbury Docks, in the Midlands off the bus, trying to get into a van that didn't have any room, trying to argue with the taxi driver because he was charging them too much money. While they we're doing this, they look great. The girls in the sticky-out frocks and the Vaseline skin and their hair in like the pigtails. The father's in their best suit. The women looking great, whether it was a church frock or whether it was just something they wore to a blues on a Saturday night. When people arrived in this country, they weren't playing. And I love that. I love these descriptions of these people because they're our, they're our forefathers. They're our beloveds. And we, when I watch them... You know, it's not, an, it's not a documentary to me. This is my family arriving in the country going, what's going on? Where's the food? Where's Brixton? Um, Oswald, if people have only heard of one black British fashion designer, it's, it's probably you. Now, although you're of Ghanaian heritage, I feel there's almost a direct line from the smart suits of the Windrush generation that Carol's talking about and what you are doing. Do you feel you're part of that lineage? And if so, how much do you feel you're personally almost shaping br- black British identity? I mean, I know you're in America now and you don't even look at us anymore. I know you're hanging no, out. No, no, you. no. I, I, I always... i, I always, know you're going I, to the I,
4: Oscars. But look, but the reality of it is, you know, I think, obviously, I, I grew up here and in, 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 well, I was born in London and yeah. my father was part of that generation who came over. And my father always wore suits and he looked sharp. And yep. so suits were what just. What did your
2: dad do, by the way?
4: My dad was a teacher.
2: Uh huh.
4: And so for him, you know, and obviously we experienced a lot of racism at that time. But the, the big component was if you look smart, and my father was very clear on this, and you projected yourself, uh, yourself with a, a sense of respect, people eventually will respect you. So that was my, uh, from a very young age, that's how I looked at what suits meant. And then, when uh, when I got in my sort of late, a friend of mine told me about uh, Savile Row, which my perception of Savile effectively was this old dusty street with English you know old uh, yeah old tailors yeah. And then I didn't think this was a space for me because already I'd started designing clothes, I'd sold my first few collections, really, and I already so was you with Savile Row? No, I was I was more a designer in the eighties. Oh. It's in the nineties that I went into to um I was always doing tailoring, but it was only in the nineties in the early nineties that I went sort of the Savaro direction. Before that Actually, was more fashion.
2: you jump this is like look at looking at you, I'm like some kind of weird journalist. You you jump from oh yeah, my dad wore a suit and then I was designing. What happened before <laughs> I wanna know how you decided to become a tailor.
4: So, I was studying, and then I met this girl at college who was an amazing artist and creative, and she was the gateway for me to understand that uh, my future was going to be in fashion. She was doing a fashion show at college. She asked me to help her. She became my, she was my girlfriend. I said, I didn't know how to do that. She said, I'll show you. And at the end of the exercise, you know, I made these clothes, and people wanted to buy them, and I'm 16 years old. So, I thought... I can actually make a living out of it. I can make money out of this. Actually, I didn't even think about living. I could make money out of it. And that was the start position. And then when I,
2: yeah. Sorry. sorry. I'm sorry, because it's not all about you, Oswald. I know it's (laughs) not. I I mean, you just he set me up. He set me up, man. I was trying to get to the point. It's not yours. though, for God's sake. He set me up. I'm sitting here like a mug listening to you <laughs> tell your life story. We've only got an hour. What's up right. with you? But
1: Lenny, just, just before... Oh, go ahead, Afua.
3: I, was, I just wanted to point out that as, an, as a teenager who knew little about fashion and nothing about menswear, everybody knew Oswald because his style was so distinctive, but also, let's oh, face it, Oswald, you were not listen. a bad model for your own design. Yeah, I mean, like, when I saw
2: Oswald, I was like, that. who's that guy? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And of
3: course, <laughs> like, who's as that? a lot of- as someone of Ghanaian heritage, we're very quick to claim all our success. Of course. No,
4: no, no. Absolutely. This As guy, if we've claimed you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
2: absolutely. I've got to ask Afro a question now because you've been sitting there for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> She's had a pie. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, my girl's had a pie and a bottle of ting waiting to answer. <laughs> because, because you're just sitting there doing this is my life. <laughs> Afro, I'm curious about your fashion journey. Explain the work you're doing. Is it Seeker?
3: Yeah, Seeker Designs. Explain Um, the work you're
2: doing with Seeker and what you think it says about your black British identity.
3: Well, my story has definitely been a journey because I think it reflects actually a lot of our experiences of being black British in a bigger way because my first Journey. I've always loved fashion. I've always loved style. But initially, I think I was just trying to assimilate. I really, as teenagers do, but especially as a lot of, I think, black people growing up in this country feel pressure to do, and just kind of wanted to look not the same as everyone else. But I wanted to kind of get the approval of my peers. And as I grew in my own confidence and my interest in my heritage and also our history of of of, of fashion and style as black people, I started to be more interesting and re- interested in expressing my relationship with my identity and also supporting the incredible work of black creatives, because it became increasingly clear to me, as usual, that we are the innovators. You know, we come up with these styles, these designs, these prints, these textiles, and then other people use them without crediting us. And it just feeds into this idea that we don't produce anything, that we haven't built civilization, whereas actually, you know, we are the originators and other people take from us. So I really wanted, as I started to get more of a platform in the media to use my platform to show that I owe these creatives, that I follow them, that I love to wear them, that they bring me joy. And my relationship with Seeker in particular is part of that story. Seeker is um, a, a Ghanaian-made brand designed by um, Phyllis Taylor, who's based in London, who's always been back and forth to Ghana. And I used to buy Seeker in the early noughties. Um, Seeker had a shop in Greenwich and a, a very early online presence and a shop in Accra in Ghana. And when I started doing more and more TV, I realized that I did I wanted to wear. African designers, Black British designers. And as my relationship with Seeker grew, I became a creative collaborator. And and really, I think for me as a professional woman, somebody who does a lot of current affairs, quite serious topics, I still want to wear... African designs, black designs, but I think a lot of them tend to be, and this is how the I feel the market has kind of crowded us, and I think, Oswald, this is one of the things you've done incredibly, to be on Savile Row and have this incredibly kind of luxurious tailoring. A lot of other black designers were kind of pushed into the more um, kind of party space, occasion wear, you know, statement wear, and I felt that's great, and I love to wear it, but when I'm on TV talking about trump or covid i still want to be wearing black clothes i still want to be wearing black designs and i wanted to wear things that more reflected the kind of professional spaces i was in but were still true to my style and heritage and so that's been the fun thing for me of working with seeker is creating designs that you can wear in a law firm you can wear in parliament you can wear on tv that that it's not you're not trying to make a point you're just being yourself and I think that those things should be able to be consistent Uh and I think you know we're now beginning to break down those barriers that okay you can wear black designers but they belong in this box no we wear them all the time we wear them everywhere we wear them in cold weather we wear them in hot weather you know we made puffer coats In Ankara print, because we live in cold countries and we're still black and we still love African fashion. So we don't just want a sundress. You know, we want tailoring. We want professional wear. We want, um, we want cold weather clothes. We want it all. And I love to see that. And now there is, there are so many other contemporary black designers making active wear, yoga clothes, um, you know, occasion wear and also suits that you can wear to work. And I think that's, that for me is an evolution that I've loved to see and be part of.
2: And and the thing is, I remember when I was doing a television show, Lenny Henry show, comedy specials, um, and I wore a Betty Jackson suit on Live and Unleashed, but that was the end of the 80s. And then the older I got, the more I started to want to seek out um, black British designers, because they they were never offered to me as a thing. You know, I had to, when I was doing Delbert, there was a guy called Chamel, and then later on, I there was a guy called Charlie, and I... When I discovered Oswald, I nearly exploded. I just thought, this person, A, looks fantastic. And if I wasn't so fat, and I, I could probably, maybe maybe he could get a circus tent and cut it around me and <laughs> oh, give me wow, that that killer killer look. Lenny, you're and terrible. No, no, no. It was a miracle. <laughs> you did, man. I mean, we're, we're both guys. We both like to wear suits. But, I mean, you obviously take it to another level. My my thing about this is, is the first time I went to the African continent was in... Um, 1984 and there was a colors pop when you're there I don't know about you but when I, I saw people wearing things and they had no money and they were just but you know I, I met people I met I saw people and I just thought colors pop here why don't we see colors like that back home and I wanted to I, I wanted to find clothes like that but in Britain and you couldn't really find it not until I met you anyway and and I know there, there are markets and stuff like that but what is that? Where, where do we get that from?
4: Yeah, that, that's a very that's an interesting question. Where where does that understanding come from? I I think through my clothes. I think one of the things I've always wanted to do or create is make sure that the clothing is an amplifier of the wearer. Right. Yeah. So yeah, so it. the the wearer puts the clothes on and they feel the the best of themselves, and that mm. would resonate. Right. And so and my language has evolved over time, because if you remember when you came in to see me initially back in the day, I would just say I just want to make beautiful clothes for men. And so I'd cut the suit in a certain way that had a certain dynamic. Uh And you put that on and you would feel a certain way. But in truth, really, what I was doing is is the amplification of the wearer's personality and who they are. And, and quite deep, because as, uh, you know, as black people, we're very spiritual. Even if we say we're not spiritual, we are. We express ourselves in a very particular way, even the way we dance, the way we move. And if you have clothing that accentuates that, and that's almost subconsciously what we do. We subconsciously almost put the clothing on to do exactly that.
2: Yeah, there's a feeling you get from wearing something wonderful, You know, immediately, particularly in terms of, I think if you're a person of color as well, there's a, there's a typical thing about the material or the pattern or the color of it. When it compliments you and you look in the mirror, you go, yeah, that's
4: okay. And I'm actually going to step in a bit more on this. Also, if you think about it, it's also about pride, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time back, you know, in the day, you know, as you know, it was tricky for being black. So you needed to have something to actually also lift you i mean if you remember the days of the sus laws and you could get stopped and searched right so looking the part looking sharp also added an extra layer of protection so it's kind of like oh you're coming to me but actually you know i knew who i am and actually i'm not doing anything wrong and so it's it was also a way it was also a form of defense
2: i I remember when jazzy b was at the height of soul to soul madness and um everybody was expecting a concert at wembley arena when soul to soul were on but they did a fashion show first and and um they had the the jazzy the kind of soul to soul logo and the the head the funky Yeah. yeah and i thought that was a very canny thing afwa what what is that where does that come from that it that instinct to make something happen in terms of a look, a logo, a style, when you're a Black Briton? What, what happens there with us?
3: I think there's an inbuilt audacity in our relationship with fashion. And I don't know if people understand, if you come from an African culture, for example, like right now, I have got um, a family wedding at the end of the summer where I have to get three different types of cloth turned into outfits because one is all the wedding guests have to have a particular cloth. Another is all the um, sisters of the bride have to have a particular cloth. And the third one is that all the women over a certain age have to have a particular cloth. So I'm in like negotiations with various dressmakers, tailors, family members. That's just so standard. Then I've got um, an elderly relative's 90th birthday coming up. I have to have a particular white lace for that. That means finding another piece of cloth going to a different tailor. And this is just standard. You've just got it running in the background all the time. And I think if you are used to that way of life where you're part of a family, you're part of a clan, you're part of a culture, you have to have specific... Uh, traditions and cloths and colors for different occasions, you just get used to this idea that you command your style, that you get things specifically made to fit you, that you choose to express yourself in a particular way at a particular event, that you're in charge of that process. You know, obviously Uh there's various negotiations with other female relatives, but you have a level of control. And I think, you know, as I was listening to you guys, it made me reflect if I'd only ever bought things off the peg, if I'd never had you know, work, the experience of working with the tailor and 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 asking for a specific style, for the slit to be this length and the peplum to be at this height and the, the the neck to be cut like this. You know, I wouldn't maybe have the confidence to inhabit my clothes and my style the way I do. And we get that conditioning from early childhood. No. You know, as, as African women, that's just something that we go through. And there's a lot of joy and community in it. And I think that does reflect an audacity that now all the clothes I wear, I have an expectation that they should serve me in in my mission in my purpose in my in my um confidence and how good i feel about myself and i think that is actually a powerful thing and it probably affects the way we move in all of the clothes we wear
0: Uh hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news
2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So I've just
1: got a question for, for Carol, if that's okay. You can interrupt anytime you like God. <laughs> it's the voice of God coming in. So, it's more like Marcus Ryder. So, so Carol, I'm, I'm curious because is there such a thing? And I suppose this is for all three of you as Black British fashion, or is it more of a diaspora fashion sense that we have?
5: For me, Black British style is a thing. It is about how people born or have moved to the UK style themselves and how that style body chimes with or comments on what it means to be here. A little bit of what I was saying earlier – This can be viewed in various contexts of just the joy of living, to reactions to racism, of being treated as different, again, building on what I've said earlier. For me, it's also about the accents, metaphorically, attached to the styling of ourselves, the details, the mix of references connected to the UK, whether that's Englishness, Scottishness, Irishness, Welshness, for example, the African diaspora and to say something about Black cultural interests and concerns. So a past example is Lover's Rock for how women wearing a Burberry Mac, silk blouse, neat pleated skirt and ballet shoes defined a Black British cultural moment in the 1970s and 80s. And then there are the accents literally from all over Britain when we speak. When we speak, adds to the definition of Black British style and Black British lives and the belonging. Sorry, the belonging, the here if there's such a word. It is about those styled bodies of Black people who define themselves as Black or brown, being of and in Britain that comments.
2: Don't you think the British influence is diaspora anyway? yes yeah. Asked, yeah, I, yeah I, thank you. To, reaction yeah. to the diaspora in Britain that we just permeate all areas of society with the way we look and the way we are, the way we dance, the things we listen to, the things we chat. You know, we've affected fashion hugely. Fashion watches what we're wearing on the street and then copies it, doesn't it?
3: I think um, there is definitely a a distinctive black British style that's been exported globally. I mean, if you look at what black men wear everywhere now, the kind of like low-slung skinny jean look, that is such a, London look. It's so associated with the grime scene. And now you see, you know, black men in America, black men in Nigeria, wearing the style that really came out of London in the in the noughties. So I think that you can like identify like very specific strains that the, you know, the mix of these influences here. Um, metabolize in a slightly different way and I think in women's wear if you look at some of the contemporary black women designers in the UK like um, Lissu is a brand I love um, founded by Rene McDonald um, if you look at Priya Alualia who's of um, Indian and Nigerian heritage which are now like becoming su- also successful contemporary women's wear brands there is a look there's a kind of mixture of London street with smart tailoring and um that that is I think quite distinctive and I think it's actually quite a new way that black British women's wear is evolving and being exported through the kind of fashion world globally but it's really interesting to see and it's it it harks back a bit to some of that like 70s um like 70s kind of suits and you know some of the earlier influences from our our you know first generation of black people who came here but they're reinterpreting Mm. it and i think that is quite british and i think it's really exciting to see how it's it's being exported
2: carol you did an exhibition in 2004 Mm. of vna uh, titled black british style and a magazine wrote about it they said the fact that the V&A has batty riders on display is worth a six pound entry on its own um was that an exciting thing to do and and did it show us off to the best of our advantage?
5: Wow! Um, yeah, it was exciting to do. I did. I co-curated it with Sean Cole, and I did it in ten months, which is just actually not really possible. Um,
2: but. We did. You did. ten but, months to to make a black exhibition. You couldn't go in your wardrobe and just hang up one and two things.
5: I know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, because I um, we were talking about clothes and designers' clothes that we wore. Um, and one of them was you know Joe Caisley Hayford I was wearing his menswear and his women's wear, because they were so amazing. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, and, and and Joe was included in the exhibition. But yeah, it was exciting to do. I really, what I really wanted to do with the exhibition was to get. A sense of an individual sense of themselves through their clothing and what those clothes meant to them and again coming back to that lovely term Oswald used about amplification
2: when you watch the audience coming coming in what did you get a did you get a black walk up or was it a very because that's quite a dominant culture space the vni what was yes what was it Um, like when it opened up Did did we come and support it
5: you, oh yeah um i can 't remember the numbers, but it was phenomenal um it was It was really well attended and then people went off to uh, other parts of the museum um and it was for example, Goldie gave us a hundred pairs of his trainers of course so did. <laughs> so we put up fifty I think in the end um
2: oh.
5: and there was a lovely um there was a it- room that
2: smelt of goldie 's feet.
5: So, anyway, the range is that, you know, we could look at um, the people arriving and what that mean, and the clothes that they brought with them. We looked at, uh, at Rastafarianism, We looked at um, uh, kind of, uh, um, event, you know, uh, special occasion dressings, whether that's a christening, a wedding, um, going yeah. to a gig, and then uh, kind of more modern things, like you were talking about Jazzy B, or oh, Chris Eubanks and his obsession oh. with...
4: Chris Bangles tailoring.
5: Yeah. his <laughs> tailoring. He was so amazing in lending us um objects. Um, a whole outfit and one of his walkings. I hope he
2: gave you a monocle. if there was if there was an item of clothing Oswald that you had to offer as an exemplar of black british style for the VNA. Wow. I'm going you this. Give me one article that you put in the VNA that says, that's us, that's Black Britain. That's who we are. Oswald first. Please say battery riders. I can't wait. No, I it. actually,
4: know, the thing is, actually, that's a very interesting question. But if I remember, you know, in the, in the 70s, which you remember, I always refer to you that you remember that, Lenny. <laughs> but right. in the 70s at school, you know, there was a, we all did, you know, SCAR, Right, scar was a real style, and it was all around the tailoring, and that was probably my first kind of understanding of what star can look like and how it could speak to me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that actually was very. I think that would be the the area I would put into the show if you haven't covered it already. So would you and then a tonic tonic suit? Yeah, but that's that's why I do what I do. It it, it stems from that period. That's why I went to do tailoring. That's why I picked mohair as a fabric. And then that's also why I found ways of coloring the mohair. Because historically, it was always two-tone more than one color, right? So that wasn't an unusual uh, 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 place. But I recognize that within those two-tone colors, I can enrich those colors but mute them back so they were more wearable. But yeah, I'd get you to wear purple, green, reds, because they were always two-tone, and which is what you know my work to be, but it all arises from that period. Also- okay, so you
2: put, put in a two-tone suit. I've got to go around this because we've only got, you know, I'm going to get kicked out in a minute. So AFWA, you, you've got to put in an item of clothing and the VNA that exemplifies black culture, black British identity. What would it be? Go.
3: I think I would put my mum's slit and cabba that I inherited as a teenager because she was came here when she was 12, 2. but by the 70s she was rocking her Ghanaian slit and cabba with a fro Mary Quant lashes. It was like such a (laughs) mash-up. Sounds great. She I mean still is, but was so stunning. And then she gave it to me when I was in my teens. And that was the first time I, outside of like a family occasion, rock that look and felt really like I could take up space with that Ghanaian fabric, but with my you know, my braids and my my trainers and my nails and all my London look together. So that would be I think that was like a seminal moment for me. And it's it a a it a slip
2: and cover a slip and slit cover, slip and
3: cover, slip and, and what, cover. How did you
2: put it? In? Is it kind of a one-piece thing that you put over your head, no, or, or is it? No, it's
3: the slit is a skirt, it's like quite a tight ankle-length skirt with a slit, and then the cover is like a quite fitted top with a little peplum, and it's like a a uh, vintage, like white, blue and black fabrics. It's, be- it's really beautiful. It's one of the kind of, when you see it, it evokes that era of independence okay. in African countries. And it's, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. But it's the way she wore it and that inspired the way I wore it, which was a very London way of wearing it.
2: All about the swagger. Carol, what would you put in there? <laughs> well, you had 10 months to choose exactly, something. Exactly, exactly. What did but you what, put in there?
5: <clears throat> what did I put in there or what had I put in now?
2: What would you put in now?
5: I think um, the Afro comb, because it's made a comeback. Um it is now the natural, I know I've got a headscarf on, but underneath this headscarf is natural hair that I then take out with pink. You can now buy it in boots, which would be, before you'd have to go all the way down to Brixton in London and buy Go it to Ghana! Don't go to um And then, um, uh, um, but you, so yeah, so you, and it, you know, it has that connection of, um of that history of the Afro. Comb. Would your
2: Afro comb have a clenched fist on the bottom like mine did when I was? <laughs> 17?
5: I did Remember have one at that one, and I had yeah. And then the other thing is, which is strange because it's not made by anyone or anything, but it was a dressing gown, a silk nineteen twenties dressing gown, and it was my way of connection to the Buffalo style in the nineteen eighties and what I was wearing around in the streets in in um, in in London at that time. So you could just really. You kind of created your own style, but it was inspired by that kind of um, very Ray Petri independent look. I was seriously into that. In the night. I mean, that's and
4: how I got jazz. Yeah, I mean, I that's how I got into fashion actually through Buffalo.
1: Oh yeah, wow! Yeah, because I, oh, mu- wow. I was very much a part wow. of that
4: movement because I knew oh, all the God. photographers, and oh, that's oh, how I got wow. it from Jamie Morgan to Mark LeBon. So that whole scene is what inspired me because it was the first time they had a black man wearing, you know, in fashion. It was exactly. the first time fashion shoots that you would see in a straight black man but as exactly. well. So it was very kind of masculine in it, and in its form. And it was the first time I remember seeing images like that in the, was it the Face magazine? Yeah, believe, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, so the, I can do this.
2: I'm asking all three of you, do we think there's racism in fashion? Um, Oh, you, you, <laughs> is there racism? Yes. <laughs> Are you yes. Are you laughing at? Yes.
3: I mean, yes. <laughs> there is racism <laughs> in fashion. Um, there is. There always has been racism in in the the the, the Eurocentric fashion industry. Has always appropriated without crediting it has othered black models it has excluded black designers it has perpetrated very eurocentric ideas about what's beautiful it has body shamed mm. black women it has done all of these things and it's still doing many of them and i think that there are a growing number of people who are using their Platform to speak out about it, but you know, in, in, having Edward Enninful as the editor of Vogue, having people like Naomi Campbell, who's been saying this for a long time, become even more vocal and insistent on the activism that comes with being a fashion superstar. You know, it does feel as if it's it's nobody can now ignore those voices but it has been going on a long time and I still you know just last week was speaking to a model who was telling me how um when she was being styled that she walked into the fitting room to see a table full of shells and cowrie beads and bones you Uh know everybody else got to be chic and urban and sophisticated and she was tribal you know you still Mm. see these words that are so loaded Mm. that are so rooted in the history of racism freely used in the fashion industry so there is still a lot of work to do for sure have you
2: experienced racism uh, Oswald, in the fashion industry?
4: I mean, I'm, you see, I am gonna. I think I'm going to be almost silent on that one. <laughs> I mean, you've got to understand, I started in the 80s, right? And I, yeah. in, in 90s, so of course. So it's, yeah. I mean, the whole uh, point of me opening up with Savareau was uh, kind of my way of tackling that language because the perception of what was black As a kid growing up, as you know, was needed to be shifted. You know, you're always, um, you're only allowed to be effectively, I think, a musician or a sportsman when Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you're quite rare being on TV. So uh, that was it. So I thought, you know, the way I'm going to to change perception is by actually opening a store in Salvaro, which basically, it's not. It's way beyond clothes. This is more about what Saburo represents in British history and tradition. So if I could go there and influence that, I could influence society as a whole. And, and so I believe actually that was achieved. So for me, with this conversation about racism, of course, I experienced it as a, I would say probably as a daily exercise, but how I tackled it is by being really good at what i do i mean you know i was constantly being put into uh, a, a box initially oh. so so th- that was that was uh a constant battle and it's and it's something ike's faced in the in the fashion industry here which is why i went to paris my first catwalk show i did was in paris because there was no baggage when i got to paris and so i was able to just yeah, I lost my luggage.
2: <laughs> you didn't have any baggage.
4: Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't have baggage. I just basically went and there, did a show, and then after two years of showing in Paris, I won Designer of the Year, and that had a huge impact in Paris because in those days, as you know, there wasn't many uh, you know, black designers doing catwalk shows in Paris, and definitely not from the UK. I mean, in those mm-hmm. days, it was just me and Paul Smith showing in Paris. Mm-hmm. So the, the thing is, when you talk about the racism, and I mean, of course, I experienced it even on the day of my show from someone very well known in this country as a journalist, you know, give me a comment, which definitely was racially charged. And so I've learned not to confront or say this. Only, my only answer to all of that was the work.
2: Mm. Carol, what about your experience? I mean, you've curated the VNA, and a but were there, were there any raised eyebrows apart from the Batty Rider comment? <coughs>
5: What I got in the main is people, particularly um, one museum member, a curator at the V&A said that she'd always tried to get her son to go, go to the, to see exhibitions at the VA and he really wanted to see the black British style one and came in and, 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 and you know, reported that he really enjoyed that. Um, and somebody else that was a a friend of my uh, husband. Um, he was white. His wife was black. They're, so their children are mixed heritage. And their teenage daughter went along to that, and she came back and said, um, "I now understand about my identity." It kind of. So it was. It was a space where people went to. I don't know. For some people, it was dis- discovering a sense of who they are. Like Afia, you were saying about. It's taken a while to just get a, a build up that confidence i suppose about your identity in different ways but i i can't i can't think of any serious negative uh points i just think people found it yeah it was there was that pressure i felt i think of being representing nearly all of black history and all the black people in britain but other than that <laughs> it was so,
2: it was okay <laughs> when we were writing and curating Black British Lives Matter, we we wanted to acknowledge and address racism, but we never wanted to be defined by it. Mm -hmm. I always wanted it to be readable and I wanted it to be moving and funny when it was supposed to be funny and, um, have facts in it. I want it to be interesting, all of that stuff. Um, my last question for you guys, because we've been quite wide ranging here is, um, Tell me about some of the new people. Now, Oswald, you do you want to do this because they're all competition? But some, some <laughs> you know, to hell with them. Potang <laughs> oh, and ne- it's never ending, long lasting. Um, but tell me about some of the new Black British designers we should be checking out, and what are the, some of what are some of the exciting developments we should be looking out for? Afra, you go first.
3: Well, I really like um, Rennie Macdonald, who's founded Lissu. Uh, tailoring 70s influence very bright prints they're really cool they're really contemporary but there's something that really speaks to the black history of fashion about them um Priya Aluala as I mentioned making really interesting women's wear she's also really into sustainability and upcycling I think she's really interesting and one to watch um Duro Oluo, you know, I think his he's uh, I think uh, better known for menswear, but I think his women's wear there's lots of beautiful styles and again it, it speaks to his Nigerian heritage, but it feels like it feels quite London to me as well. I really like that. Um Grace Wells Bonash is ventured into women's wear. And I'm, I think she's a, just a really interesting creative in general, also quite a Londoner in her style and aesthetic. And there's something quite British about her nah. her approach. So I think um, that those are really interesting designers. And also, you know, people like um, Mo Lola, who's Nigerian, kind of more based in the US. But I think, you know, that whole, we were talking about T-shirts, that subversive street protest, very black style that's part of the nigerian diaspora i think like i i feel quite a connection to her styles i think she's really exciting
2: okay carol what about you what are you seeing out there
3: um I, I think I mentioned her earlier, Bianca Saunders.
5: I like her, um, her menswear and the way that she doesn't. M- Sorry, Oswalds.
2: <laughs> go, 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 <laughs> go, go, go. And her I really have a go at him. <laughs> now you can <laughs> have all from the guys you from want. Run down one and two really good male trainers. <laughs> no, they're all and good. The- it's all good. But-
5: but I do love the way that she again she mixes her Caribbean uh, uh, roots and and then her Englishness, um, but and also that uh, her uh, 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 redefining of uh, uh, masculinity and what and what men can wear. Um, and then there's it's not they're not so much a designer, um, but it's um, it's a group called Black Nick uh, Black Girl Knit Club, um, and that's run by Sigmoni. Um, cliche and via current quaranting um and it's about them um Providing people with the skills for knitting and, craft, and so making their own garments and and knitting and things. So and they've just got a new book out called Conscious Craft. So it's not so much um, designers, but but um, Sigmone is a, a textile designer. Um, and again, the other one is Nicholas Daly, and again, it's men's. I don't know why I seem to be focusing on menswear, um, menswear. And again, um, he's mixing the Jamaican and, and his Jamaican and Scottish, Scottish heritage. But his whole look really just ricochets from the 1970s kind of raster vibe, which I think is amazing. Great. And then there's the African textiles, um, prints in
2: quotes, African textiles. Oswald, who are you liking that's not you? <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, well,
4: you know, it's, oh, it's really interesting because my clothes you, are really know? great, you know. You know this guy in Savaro? Yeah, all right. No, I mean, look. This is he's look, got you well, need he's, to... he's yeah.
2: amazing, right? He's <laughs> a shy guy. He's a skinny boating. He's amazing.
1: He's
4: new. He's a new piece You're, you're so out of order. Game. See, you're so out of order. So, I, I mean, I like Wells Bonner. She's really good, very talented. But interesting enough, what I'm experiencing more now is these streetwear brands. And it's a streetwear brand called Trapstar. Oh yeah. And they just did a pop-up in Paris during fashion week. And it's a roadblock. They had queues lined up down the street. I mean that is from where I've started as a designer. That would be unthinkable, right? But there they are. They they've they've done this pop-up store and they kind of brought Paris to a, a, a standstill because if you look at the social and you see the length of the queues of it, they've done like what Supreme did. They created these long queues. In the month, everyone else uh, cramming to get these press headlines. These guys are doing what we call hardcore selling. right? These guys, these people are going queuing outside to buy product. So uh, I think the world's very much changed. Social media has really changed it. So the back, I'd say the black design narrative It's a very different story today. That's for sure.
2: Thank you so much for your time. I really love that you spent the time with us to talk and to chat and to fulminate and to wear extraordinary clothes whilst doing it on a podcast. Nobody's going to see your faces here. But the (laughs) fact that you are wearing such cool clothes means that you bring the Black Bridges Fashion Band with you wherever you go. Thanks very much, everybody.
5: (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Lots of love.
2: Amen. Bye-bye. Oswald Botang, Afua Hirsch, Professor Carol Tullock, thank you so much for joining us today and explaining exactly why Black British fashion matters. I don't think I will ever wear a suit, put on a T-shirt, or wear a Batty rider in the same way ever again. Fashion is part of our identity and culture. It is part of who we are. I'm now have to check out some of the designers you mentioned and do some serious purchases to make sure I represent my Black British style to the max. Peace! Okay, Marcus, it is actually a few days after we recorded that podcast and we're catching up over the phone because, like we said at the start, since recording it, Kanye West came out with a fashion show saying white lives matter.
1: Lenny, I think the whole Kanye West controversy with the Anti-Defamation League declaring the phrase white lives matter to be a racist response to black lives matter just proves how important that podcast was. Whether we like it or not, fashion
2: is political. Absolutely. Kanye West might have been more obvious about it, but our clothes send a message about us to the world. I loved what Athel was saying about her fashion journey and how it mirrored her own journey of understanding her blackness. Now, Marcus, tell the listeners what next week's podcast is all about.
1: Absolutely. And hopefully, we won't have to jump in and do a pre record afterwards. Here we go. Next week, we have a subject very close to your heart, Lenny Black British Comedians Matter, with two amazing guests, true comedic royalty. Gina Yeshure and Dame Baptiste.
2: Damn, that's going to be a good show. That is going to be the bomb. See you here next week. And Kanye, tune in, man. You might learn something.
0: <laughs> hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues